A lot of times designers want to refine, they want to change the typeface or they want to adjust the kerning or tweak the button color. And a lot of engineers will see that and they'll think that's self-indulgent. Why are we doing that? Um, so that, that's another thing that designers really uh, struggle with. And, and I'll be honest, designers kind of just suck at talking about their work and talking about the value of their work. Hey, and welcome to the UX and Growth Podcast. I'm Jeff, I'm a UX engineer at HubSpot. And this is Austin, I'm a UX designer at HubSpot. So today we have a really awesome episode for you guys. I got the chance to sit down with one of my greatest design idols, Aaron Walter, and he is the VP of Design Education at InVision. Prior to that, he actually founded the UX practice at MailChimp. So. He has some amazing experience that we got to dive into, and we also got to talk a little bit about one of his greatest passions, which is the mixture between education and design. He actually has a background sort of in a different life in formal education where he was a professor and everything like that. So now he's kind of taking on the dream job at InVision, and he's got a lot of cool stuff planned. So without further ado, here's Aaron Walter. So I am joined today by Aaron Walter. He is the VP of Design Education at Envision, and he's a best-selling author of Designing for Emotion. It's an awesome book. Prior to Envision, he was one of the original employees at MailChimp, and he actually founded its UX team, built it from the ground up, had some awesome experience there. He's a frequent speaker and writer on all things design, and I'm thrilled to have him on the show today. He's somebody that I personally look up to. Um, you may have heard his interview on Dorm Room Tycoon, just an absolute master of design, and it's great to have him on the show. Aaron, thank you for being on today. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So you have a really cool background. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you got involved in design. What what drove you to this industry? Um, so so to, to be honest, I was uh, not a big fan of design early on in my life. I, um, I was interested in art and painting. Um, I was interested in kind of the high-minded uh, approach to aesthetics. And I studied painting. Um, and uh, in graduate school, there was this sort of... Um, uh, animosity between painting and design because design was practical, um, it was making money, and painting was, um, you know, it was contemplative, philosophical, uh, not necessarily tied to a patron. Um, so it's very idealized. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where my head was for, for a number of years. And then um, I kind of found my way into um, technology, you know, things like Photoshop and Director and HTML and JavaScript. Um, and once once that caught me, then that immediately pulled me over to um, into design. And I thought, oh, well, with my, my background in painting, I should be able to figure out design. But uh, it turned out I had a whole lot to learn. So... Um, <laughs> You know, after I, after I graduated college, I, I had to 
um, I, I joined um, a design agency and um, was making websites for you know interesting customers. We had inter- interesting clients like David Bowie and uh, let's. I don't know if you remember Hanson, the yeah that that band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so those guys would call the office all the time and talk to us about their website, um, <laughs> which is sort of crazy. But that's uh, crazy to think about. Yeah. So. You know, I kind of got thrown into the design world, um, and then I had to figure that out. And, you know, that forced me to do a lot of learning on my own. Um, But then, you know, once I started to understand design, I had this whole new understanding uh, about uh, how it influences life, um, how it uh, shapes people's behaviors. And that, in particular, is really fascinating to me that I think that that realization is kind of the thing that brought me over to design forever. Mm-hmm. Do you think that your background in the fine arts was relevant to the work that you're doing now or, or do you think they're completely different? I think it's very connected. Um, so you know, studying art, it's a lot of conceptual thinking. It's a lot of critical thinking. Um, you know, the, the craft of making art is not something that's applicable to what I, I do, but the thought process um, and the way that I would research my paintings, I would go to the library and I would, you know, study different subjects and I would make a lot of photocopies and put those in three ring binders and organize them. And then I would take those into the studio and pull out different images and find some relationship or meaning. Maybe it's an aesthetic relationship of how these forms relate or a conceptual relationship like uh, a fingerprint scan and the stripes on a zebra. Um, And what does that mean that they have this aesthetic and conceptual relationship? Um, And how does that form into a story? Um, that, That way of thinking is very much related to product design for me um you know studying people's behaviors interviewing people uh oftentimes they won't tell you exactly what they want or what they need or they won't have clarity on that um but being able to think critically and listen uh and find interesting connections um it's still very applicable to what i have done in the past you know few years Mm mm-hmm were, were there any stumbling points, you think, when you transitioned into design? Or was design, the, the digital design world, was it still pretty early enough to where you think, you know, your transition was pretty smooth? Um, definitely it was early days. So, you know, we had just gotten CSS. Um, you know, I, I remember my roommate, when he was teaching me HTML, he was... Um, telling me how cool animated GIFs were, that it's, mm. it was a new thing. Um, so, you know, the, the tradition, the background history of graphic design was not yet integrated into digital work. Um, it, you know, people were still trying to figure that out. Um, but, you know, stumbling blocks was just like the learning curve was so steep that there's tons of technology to learn and then there's tons of uh, conceptual thinking, and then there's all this history of you know like type design and typesetting and how to do that really well. So there's all of this craft. It's 
it's very uh, multidisciplinary, and um, that was challenging. I still think that's challenging. I think it's maybe even more challenging today than ever. You know mm-hmm. what it means to be a front-end developer today. It you know it's crazy how much that's changed in the past two plus years. Um, but the complexity is part of what is so interesting and exciting to me. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk a little bit about your early experience joining uh, Mailchimp when it was still a small company that was you know not quite as recognized and uh, known as it is today. What was it like when you? came in as you know the first UX practitioner at a small startup that went on to become something that's so large and widely used we were we were given a whole lot of freedom um, so when I say we it was me and um, Chad Morris who was the an engineer had been hired for six months uh, six seven months before I got there and really sharp guy um, he has such he's such a brilliant engineer and he also has an incredible uh respect for design which made that a very unique environment for me to both have the freedom um given to me by the the founders the co-founders to work with the design and the brand um to form the practices and the team the way that you know i wanted to Um, they they put a lot of faith in me and in chad um and you know, let Chad and I rebuild the the app. Um, we we basically tore it down and uh, rebuilt the whole thing almost from scratch. Not entirely from scratch, but um, I just feel like that's that's kind of a. I don't I don't think I'll ever get that experience again. So mm. I feel very fortunate to have had that. But um, it it was um, it it was it was. It was interesting to to be able to experiment and try things out, um, especially with the brand um, being having such strong personality, um, and explore a lot of ideas, design ideas with that. That was really cool. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have a hard time introducing design or advocating for design, or, or was it a pretty smooth road from the start? You know, the thing that I think that made. Um, design so successful at MailChimp is Ben Chestnut, um, who's the CEO and he's a co-founder. He, um, he's a designer. He, he studied industrial design. Um, and so he's always, he's always understood the creative process and he thinks in terms of like pictures and imagery. Um, and he, he's always gotten uh, understood that design has to play an important part of the process. Um, he's also a big reason why um, research was such a, a big deal at MailChimp. And that's something that, um, you know, I, I built that research team, um, you know, started out where it's just me doing research and sometimes Ben and I would interview customers together. Um, and then later on, he you know, just simply asked, let's, let's do some more research. We've got the time and space. Let's, let's focus on this. And so, um, I didn't, I didn't have to beg. I I didn't have to convince anybody that this is worthwhile. Um, and I think that's, that's a big reason why we were so successful was that, um, design and engineering were peers, um, had equal weight and our work was informed by 
the context of our customers' needs um, and how those businesses operate. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I still firmly believe that, that is, those two things are very important for companies to succeed. Is having an equal balance between design and engineering? Yeah. Yeah. Is that something that you, would that be a make or break for you in joining a company? Or do you think that you could go into a company and introduce that philosophy? I don't, I don't think that I could introduce that philosophy and, and I don't know that anybody else could either. I, I think it's something that has to happen from top down that, um, you know, the CEO has to say design's going to be an important thing for us. This is a, a lever for how we're going to compete um, in, in a crowded market. And then she needs to um, make that clear to the executive team so it, it permeates all of the company. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a specific time when a company is young? Obviously, their, their market or, or their specific product may have a, a little bit of an effect on this. But in general, do you think there's a time when it's appropriate for a startup to bring on a UX designer or a design leader? I think right at the very beginning, if you're doing mm-hmm. it later, um, it feels like an add-on. It'll always feel like an add-on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and the reason is that the processes that you establish at the very beginning um, you know, they're not necessarily going to be what you do forever, but they will certainly have an impact on things for a long time. Um, and, and they're going to influence who you hire. And, you know, the first 50 hires are going to have um, the opportunity to hire more people. And so those early philosophies, they trickle down, they get inherited, passed down from person to person. Uh, so if, if companies try to bring design on later and make that a priority, it's not impossible. There are certainly situations where that has worked, but they tend to be um, the exception, not the rule. Mm-hmm. So you've always been focused on two big things in your career, the first of which is design when you built that MailChimp team and before then. And then the second is education. You actually taught college for somewhere around nine years you were teaching interaction design and painting and I think that's a really interesting combo it's something that you don't necessarily hear articulated a lot but it also seems to be a growing theme in the design community is this pairing of design and also education whether that be you know through the community itself or through formal education is there a reason why you were always drawn to design and education um, I think that, uh, you know, it's education is, is a way to, it's like a testing ground, a, a lab to test ideas. Um, you know, it's a place where there's critical discourse. It's a place where you can try things out in projects and if they fail, you know, it, there's, there's certain things at stake, you know, you could teach a class and the project could be not very beneficial to students, but it's, you know, one quarter or one semester, and then that can be revised and improved upon. Um, it's just a great place to figure stuff out. And when you pair that with designing it for real clients or doing something in the real world, um, I, I feel like there's just, this beautiful symbiosis between practicing and teaching. 
And for me, um, it's, it's almost like telling somebody else via writing or speaking is how I put things in my brain. It's mm-hmm. how I clarify the, the thing that I'm doing um, and turn that into a system to clarify my, my perspective on how to do this well, uh, how the process should, should, uh, should flow. Uh, so that the teaching process um, is a really important thing. And so when I, when I left uh, teaching and went to MailChimp, um, my outlet was writing uh, books and articles and then speaking at conferences. And that, that kind of filled that gap, the education gap for me, where I um, could, could keep learning and keep you know, formulating these ideas in my head. Uh, so what I'm doing now at Envision is just a, a really lovely uh, combination of the two things that I've been doing uh, for a long time. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. What is what's your new role at Envision? What are you what are you focusing on? So my my title is VP of Design Education, um, and essentially uh, the reason why. Clark, who's a co-founder and CEO of, of Envision, he and I were talking, and he, um, you know, he, he has really strong convictions about how design can um, influence companies, help them grow, help them be more successful. Um, he sees design as uh, not a nice-to-have, uh, that soon every company is going to figure out that uh, they have to produce really high quality products in a world where customers are becoming very sophisticated with devices and software and they know what good looks like and what bad looks like. Um, and design is you know, how we make great products, not just good products. Um, it's certainly one important part of it. It's not the only thing, but it's a, a really key part of it. Um, so this new, my new role as uh, the VP of design education is to help our customers and um, just you know the design community in general um, take a look at what we've been doing and where we're not designing products well where product design is um, uh, not not being done well at companies and how could we make changes how could we what are the best practices that could guide us and you know that's a term that often is it's 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 fuzzy. What does it mean to have a best practice? Does that work for everybody or just a few people? Um, but just, you know, lessons learned from uh, companies that have been very successful. Can we abstract that to a certain degree? Are there certain things that um, work well in a lot of different situations? And I definitely believe that our medium is young still. It seems old because, you know, it's been a couple decades plus that uh, the web's been around. But really, you know, it's, it's uh, 10, 15 years of going at it pretty hard here. Um, and that's, that's still early days. There's still a lot about our craft um, that we're trying to figure out. And when I say our craft, it's not just uh, how we push the pixels, how we write code and how we put those things together, but how do we build the teams that do these things and how do they collaborate um, and share vision um, how do we run the businesses that um, that are making these products? And, you know, all of those things are interesting to me, things that I've been um, considering and, and um, experimenting with over the, the past, you know, 
10 to 20 years. So um, super excited to be at Envision, um, thinking about design education, uh, excited to have to play a, a tiny part in helping companies figure out how to put design um, at the center of their strategy. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been really interesting so far. How do you plan to do that? How do you plan to go in and talk to companies or talk to designers and help them adopt design more? Uh, so a couple ways. Uh, right now, I'm spending a fair bit of time talking to people on the phone, talking to experts in the industry from uh, you know, tons of interesting companies. Uh, we, we have a lot of interesting companies that, that use Envision, uh, companies like Disney and Microsoft, Spotify, Netflix, uh, Twitter, you know, you name it. Um, and so I'm talking to a lot of folks from companies like this, um, industry leaders, uh, people that are writing uh, really interesting stuff in my, my perspective, um, and getting their, pers their, their feedback or their observations about how their teams are working, trying to get some very specific real-world stuff that's happening. Um, and using that as, as a point of comparison for what I've learned um, you know, building this team at MailChimp and um, growing it from, you know, when we were just five or six people to, you know, north of 500 um, when I left. So putting those two things together and um, packaging those in a way that um, anyone, you know, or, you know, that that's, that's uh, transportable to different companies. So uh, I, you know, I'll be visiting companies and doing uh, workshops, um, I'll be doing short, you know, lectures um, at companies or at events, uh, conferences. Um, I'll be writing and publishing. Uh, at some point, I may turn these ideas into a book. Um, so there are a lot of different modalities or different uh, channels for getting these ideas out there. But what we hear a lot from Envision is uh, companies signing up and uh, they know that design is important. They value it. They want to you know, make a change in their company. It's one thing to buy the platform that helps you collaborate and, you know, do design well. Uh, but it's another thing to actually know, like, the best practices or the process for making great products. How do we make products um, that stand out in the market? So that's where I come in, trying to, uh, you know, produce content that helps people learn how to do that. Mm-hmm. So a lot of you think of a lot of young designers or people who may be starting companies and, and thinking along the same lines of what you were just discussing there. Obviously, they're going to do the standard things. They'll read blog posts, they'll listen to podcasts, they'll uh, watch videos, webinars, maybe even hire somebody for a workshop. Is there anything that you're thinking of uh, for, for your role or, or in general that, that could be offered for companies or designers to kind of take that further? Like, is there a different way that they should be approaching design education? Or is this more of just like making the current mediums even more robust and formalized? Yeah, I think uh, just mostly focusing on the content because the delivery, I mean, there, there are lots of different ways that this can be delivered. And, and we have some fun, interesting ideas about what we want to do there to try to reach a lot of people. Um, clearly, we want to make this, uh, uh, share this content broadly, not just to Envision customers or to even a small cohort of Envision customers. We want to share it 
with everybody who wants to make design better. Um, and we also want to try to um, build connections and um, talk to other people in the industry to learn more about what they're doing. Because um, we don't, you know, we don't necessarily have it all figured out. We have certainly a lot of things that lessons learned that are practical and, and can be meaningful in a lot of different contexts. Uh, but I think there's a lot of interesting stuff that's, that's being figured out right now. Um, and I, you know, I've had calls with some folks recently and, um, have just been really, uh, fascinated, uh, surprised by different ways that they're figuring out how to make design work, uh, especially at scale. I think that's something that is really, um, it's not going very well in a lot of large organizations. Um, design, um, there, there are some things about engineering, I think, that does work really well at scale, where it can be conducive to it. Um, but design, um, you know, there are a few struggles that are happening there. So um, that's definitely something I want to help people figure out. Let's talk about some of those things, if you can, like some of the things that you've learned or some things that have surprised you as you've talked to these different companies. So... Um, one one issue that I, I see popping up over and over again uh, that I hear designers talking about is how uh, design isn't working in an agile system, and uh, I have seen that sometimes. You know, basically where there are these short sprints, uh, a lot of times they're two week sprints. Maybe it's a four week sprint uh, for some organizations, uh, and designers struggle with that bite size mentality because everything is incremental and design is something that happens with broader vision what's the system what does the system look like so imagine an architect trying to design a building um, you know a single wall at a time you don't do that right it just you'd get really weird outcomes you can't um, you know it's like viewing a newspaper through a straw you only see so much designers want a broad vision of what things are gonna be down the road. Um, and so sprints make them feel uncomfortable and strange, and um, a lot of times product managers and engineers just say, well, you're gonna have to get used to this, and big design up front is, uh, is, is a bad thing, uh, that's negative, that goes, takes us back to waterfall, and we're in this agile structure, um, you just need to figure it out. Um, so I think that, you know, there, there's truth on both sides there that, um, you know, our industry moves fast. It's software, not hardware. So shipping early and often is a good thing because we, we can iterate and learn things quickly. But um, the one thing that I, I hear a lot of companies struggle with is just what is the grand vision that unites everybody? What's the story? What's the experience that all of our customers are gonna have or a specific cohort of customers? And how do we communicate that? So, uh, you know, one thing that we did at MailChimp um, a while back was we, we had a big redesign that was based on some research about how people were working differently. Um, they were working all the time and more collaboratively and it's like any place, any time. Uh, these giant to-do lists that create stress and so they pass tasks back and forth more frequently. Um, and we had some ideas of what that would look like for the web app, what that would mean for the mobile app and, you know, a new tablet app and things like that. 
But we, we focus first on telling the story of, of how the world works today. And we shot a, a quick video. Um, we hired some actors and we basically just, you know, asked some friends to, to stand in. Uh, we had one video guy that um, shot this. I wrote a script and uh, he edited it, added some music. And we dropped it on a private video uh, Vimeo page, and then we emailed that to the company. We could IM it to whoever, and it gave a clear, a clear picture, like a beacon on the hill. Uh, I hear North Star, a term used a lot these days in product design, where people are looking for their North Star. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this was the North Star that told all these different types of teams, uh, you know, engineers and designers, uh, mobile developers. Uh, even like QA, all kinds of different folks that have to understand the context of what's going to happen in this huge project, huge multi-team project. Um, so vision is, is, a, is a big challenge. Um, I, I've heard from a really uh, well-known music company that um, they do things like they create presentations. Um, they create you know, short videos from presentations where they'll show what they're working on and where they're headed. They'll create giant boards and post um, you know, printouts and, and designs uh, about the types of things that they're working on. And they'll show like before and after uh, to try to give people context for why things are changing. Um, a lot of times designers wanna refine, they wanna change the typeface or they wanna adjust the kerning or tweak the button color. And a lot of engineers will see that and they'll think that's self-indulgent. Why are we doing that? But when you see what, what was before and what is now, it starts to give some context, like help you get the feel of how this moves things forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's another thing that designers really uh, struggle with. And, and I'll be honest, designers kind of just suck at talking about their work and talking about the value of their work. Um, yeah, this is, it, this is an interesting topic. This is something that we actually just recently had Tom Griever on the show. If, if anybody listening is interested to hear about like articulating your design decisions and Aaron, maybe you're, you're familiar with his book, but this was, this was something that he touched on as well is just this getting, getting that communication down between the designer and, and the stakeholder, whether they be a developer or an executive and understanding how you can communicate on their terms to say, hey, the, these, this is why we've chosen this design decision, or these are the reasons behind the solution that we've chosen, which are going to help you accomplish what you're trying to accomplish, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It, designers, um, when, when they can do that well, um, it, they, they definitely start to build social capital where people start to trust them. Um, they, they understand where they're coming from. Uh, they're, they're going to be in a situation where every decision they make is no longer questioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do think that there is a tendency for designers to noodle. Uh, like, I want to try this. I want to see what happens over here. And, you know, it's like curious exploration. That's the creative process, which is great. Um, but when it's unbounded and just kind of left to its own devices, then I do think that designers can start to become very self-indulgent, which is a, a criticism that's often leveled against them by, um, you know, quant-minded people, you know, mm-hmm. engineers and uh, 
business folks. And uh, so that's something that we have to be careful of too, is just, you know, being clear about what are the goals, what are we trying to, what are the outputs or outcomes rather of, of what we're trying to create here? How are we trying to change people's behavior? Um, and how does this design solution tie to that? Mm-hmm. So you chose InVision. You probably had a lot of different places that you could have gone or opportunities that you could have seized, even taking things on your own. I know that you did that for a while. What, what were you looking for in a company or an opportunity at a VP level that may have driven you to Envision? So, so I, I've been a, a customer, an Envision customer for a couple of years. And um, I saw how it changed the way that we work at MailChimp. Um, the way that the design team communicated with the engineering team, um, with you know partnerships uh, team who has to see current designs and be able to you know t- be informed when they're having conversations with potential partners, uh, executives, managers. They all have to have a glimpse into design, and that gets harder and harder as uh, a company scales. And so, over the past couple of years, as we've gone through a lot of growth, um, I saw Envision as an important um, part of keeping design at the heart of uh, Mailchimp's values. Um, so, you know, I, w- I was interested in being involved in that in some way, and. Um, you know, I, I think that there's it it's feels like a special time right now that our tools are finally catching up to um, our needs and our ideas. Um, and I mentioned earlier that it feels like, you know, our, our medium is actually really young. It's, you know, we're 15, 20 years into this. Um, in the animation world, back in the, the teens and 20s, Walt Disney and his team they did a lot to figure out the processes and tools of animation, you know, to um, figure out how to prototype animations and characters very quickly, um, how to produce animations instead of in a month or two months time, but to do uh, a quick walk sequence within a day and how, you know, you can put personality into a character. Um, They were figuring all of this stuff as they went, but it took them, you know, quite a few years to to figure a lot of this stuff out. Um, And it feels like that's exactly what's happening right now, that there are a lot of companies that are starting to figure out how to make tools and explore this idea because they are sick and tired of uh, not being able to do what they want to do. For for example, like we don't have Flash anymore. How do we do animation? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because animation is is an important part of the the vocabulary that designers want to be able to use. Uh, but they're not, there have not been a lot of great tools for that recently. And we're trying to figure that out in our workflow. And, you know, technology, like with CSS, and uh, we can start to, to do a lot of animation JavaScript. Um, but it's just like this barrier of entry of like, you have to, there's a lot to figure out. There's a mm-hmm. learning curve. Yeah. So um, to me, you know, Envision is at this, it's the right time right place to really help des- push design forward to deliver the right tools to designers to uh, you know so we can make better products and 
I, I think that's a big deal because clearly software is an important part of everyone's life, uh, lives these days in developed countries. Um, it's, you know, it's there when we wake up and it's there when we go to sleep. And uh, for some of us, it's even present when we're, we are asleep. Um, I wear my Fitbit to bed so I can track my sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> so um, being able to build the right tools to help designers make better products um, has a lot of implications, and that's very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. You've mentioned a couple times this idea of a design-driven company, and that sounds about right to me. I would say that Mailchimp is a design-driven company, and then you've probably dri- you've probably joined the ultimate design-driven company now. What does it mean to you, aside from? sort of what we touched on earlier with the balance, the 50-50 balance between engineering and design. If Say that if I were a startup founder or um, somebody that's, you know, has the power to shape the culture of a company, what are some of the things that I should be thinking about or putting in place to cause my company to be design-driven? What should I care about? Does this mean that design takes precedent over other things or is it different than that? I don't think that it's design takes precedence over other things. I, th- I think that it just simply means that design has a seat at the table um, when strategy and, and key decisions are being made for the company. Um, oftentimes that's not the case because designers uh, aren't good communicators. They don't um, often have a good understanding of the business side of things. Um, so that's, that's important. We need design leadership, people that can combine those skills, understanding design, the craft, uh, creative thinking, and be able to, you know, sit in a room with people in suits if, if they need to. Um, but you know, I said earlier that, you know, to make a company design driven, I don't know that, that, uh, one person can change what's happening at the top. You know, if the, the head honchos don't value design, it's pretty hard to shift that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, I think that, you know, getting away from your desk, um, building relationships, building a rapport with a lot of different types of people is not only good to inform your designs, you know, building a relationship with customer support or QA, for example, can teach you a lot about how to design a UI, uh, what things are important. But, you know, making relationships throughout engineering, um, executives, partnerships, business development, marketing, the more connected you can be to the rest of the company, um, the more successful you can be with your designs. Because design does not, if you're in a large scale company, it's you just can't sit at your desk. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. You've got to collaborate and work with a lot of different people. You are no longer in control of your destiny. So many other people are in control mm-hmm. of your destiny. Mm-hmm. And so it, you've, got to, you've got to form those relationships to um, help see your designs through to um, final stages. Yeah. If, if, if you were to speak to a designer who were, maybe they were in a startup where the leadership didn't value design or they were in uh, a company where they felt like what you just mentioned there, like the fate of their design wasn't in their hands and people were making decisions that they disagreed with. What, what would you recommend to them? Do they still try to fight and advocate 
for their design work or is it better off for the designer to find a company that fits them a little bit better provided of course that they can yeah i i think that you know it's not always as easy as saying walk away go find something else Mm -hmm. um there's certainly a lot of situations where that is is the best advice and um you know it's not impossible to do it's it can be uh can be scary to have um the guts to walk away and and hope that you'll find another job that that'll work out um but i think that um influencing um influencing the process any way you can is really important and that can happen in a lot of different ways um you know you can do things that are totally within your um within your your scope of of duties like you know writing more about your design um your design decisions maybe speaking at a conference uh, to bring attention to design at your your company um, and that's not necessarily to try to convince a boss uh, directly. It's you're basically doing that indirectly by bringing attention to the work mm-hmm. that you're doing at the company or your team is doing. Um, you're creating value for the company. So instead of saying, "Hey, value me," you create that value, um, and then you know the hope is that that is recognized and respected down the road. Right. So a lot of the onus is essentially on the designer to demonstrate the value of design within their organization or, or if there's something that they want to happen within design it's they're the designer that's their responsibility i, I think it, it is a designer's responsibility to be involved and try to figure out ways to influence the process and you know i mean it's just basically asking people not to feel victimized to take control of um of their work, you know, mm-hmm. to do something uh, and be proactive about how to make their uh, their work more satisfying. Uh, I do think that it's not solely just the designer's uh, responsibility because there are a lot of, I've talked to a ton of people who they, they do everything they can to try to help their colleagues, stakeholders, executives respect their work but um, it's just not seen as an important lever for improving the business uh, because, you know, it could be a number of reasons. They're competing on price, not on quality. And in that case, you know, uh, value that is created by design is um, probably not going to be valued anytime soon. Mm-hmm. There are a few instances where that's, that's not the case. IKEA is, is maybe one where it's like, low price but also design focused target tries to be low price but design focused but it is not totally competing on value it's competing on quality that's Mm -hmm. that's the primary uh, means that they're competing so if you're a designer and you're in uh, a value-driven company you might you might be in the wrong place to really grow in your career yeah Aaron, it's really been wonderful talking to you today. And uh, I know that we're all really interested to see how Envision takes things to the next level with design education. And I think we've all learned a few things about what it means to be a design-driven company and how to find your way uh, in terms of getting into one of those companies or creating a company like that. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. 
Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm <laughs> sorry.